0: Morning to you. Isn't it a beautiful day outside? Even more beautiful inside this building as we have this opportunity to worship in spirit and truth. We're thankful you're here. We're thankful if we have those who are are with us uh, from home. We're very thankful for that. We're going to have our Bibles open this morning to Romans 7, verses 1 through 6. Romans 7, Verses 1 through 6. Let me kind of set the table for us uh, this morning. We want to read this together, first of all. Then we want to focus in on the phrase body of Christ. We'll focus in on the phrase body of Christ. And then we want to learn about three things that the death of Christ has created. So after that, we'll get to our invitation song. We're grateful for this part of our service where we can focus primarily on Scripture. I'll be reading from Romans 7, 1 through 6. This is the old American Standard uh, Version, but I think you can follow in yours as well. Paul says, Are you ignorant, brethren, for I speak to men who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man, For so long time as he lives. For the woman that has a husband is bound by law to the husband while he lives. But if the husband dies, she is discharged from the law of the husband. So that if while the husband lives, she be joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if the husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though he be though she be joined to another man. Verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, you also were made dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you should be joined to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were through the law wrought in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we have been discharged from the law, having died to that wherein we were held, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now focus here with me the body of Christ in verse 4. He says, we have been made dead to the law through the body of Christ. Sometimes in Scripture, New Testament especially, the body of Christ refers to the church. Not here though. But, for example, in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Jesus is said to be the head of the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that fills all and all. But here, this is talking about just simply the fleshly body of Jesus. It's one of the great teachings of, of the New Testament, that Jesus came in the flesh. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. This is so meaningful uh, to us. In First Timothy chapter 3 and 16, Paul reminds us that Jesus was manifested in the flesh, that He was justified in the Spirit, and that He was seen of men. He was seen of men. Hebrews 10 and verse 5 says, A body was prepared for Jesus. A real fleshly body through the miraculous operation of the holy spirit upon virgin mary a body was prepared for jesus and he grew up in that body and he indeed was made flesh and dwelt among men in first john 1 in a couple of first verses there in first john 1 john speaking for him and the other apostles he said he said we we with our eyes we saw jesus in the flesh and we with our ears we heard jesus in the flesh. And then he went on to say even our hands have handled him. That is to say they were day in and day out with Jesus. They were traveling with him. They were spending uh, the night in the same places as him. They were eating meals with him. They were working side by side with him. We saw him, we heard him from day in day out. He was here among us. Ultimately though, The body of Jesus meant, and how thankful we are, even though this is tragic, how thankful we are. Ultimately, the body of Jesus meant He would die for us. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2. Ultimately, the body of Jesus meant that He would be dying for us, and notice how Peter talks about it here in 1 Peter 2 as he speaks about Jesus being our example he suffered for us, leaving us an example. 1 Peter 2.21 That we should walk in His steps. And He went on to say that Jesus did no sin. Neither was God found in His mouth. Okay. And, and Jesus committed Himself unto the One uh, who judged uh, righteously. And then verse 24. 1 Peter 2.24 Who His own self bear our sins. Notice this. In his body upon the tree, that we, having died under sins, might live under righteousness, by whose stripes, by whose stripes, by whose wounds uh, we are healed. And we take the time, not just on the first day of the week, but especially on the first day of the week as we assemble together to remember the body of our Lord. And what that means to us. And the great mercy, love and compassion that God had to send His Son to this earth. To endure these things on the cross. And only He could do this for the sins of the world. And so when Paul says here in Romans 7 that we've been made dead to the law by the body of Christ. It is, it is His intention to bring to our minds the death of Jesus. It's only right that we take this moment to really reflect. In just a few moments, we'll be assembling in our hearts around the communion table. And Brother Tim will lead us in some more thoughts about Jesus' death and, and the shedding of his blood and and his resurrection on that first day. But for us right now, I want us to focus from Paul here in Romans 7 and think about three things that the Death of Jesus created. Three things that the death of Jesus created. Number one, the death of Jesus created the new law, the new covenant. This is Paul's main point here in in talking about marriage. He said a, a man or woman who is married is bound by law to their mate as long as they live. But if one of them dies, then they are free to that law. Free from that law. They're discharged from that law of the husband. And they're free to marry another. Paul is saying, just like that. How do people miss this, by the way? How do people miss this? This is as plain as a nose on your face. Just like this, we have been made dead to the law. The old law of Moses is what's being discussed here. We have been made dead to the law by the body of Christ. The death of Jesus terminated the old law of Moses. We've been made dead to it. We have been discharged from it. We have been separated from it. James 2, 26 says that as death brings a separation of the body and spirit, so faith, faith without works is dead. But the idea there is Separation. Faith and works cannot be separated, but a separation happens when we die physically. Our body goes one place; our spirit goes another. This is what death means. Paul says, "We have been made dead to the law by the body of Christ through His death." And so, this created the new law, the new law, as he is pointing out uh, here. In Colossians 2:14 says, "This old law was nailed to the cross." and has been taken out of the way. Taken out of the way. The idea there of that phrase in Colossians 2.14, taken out of the way, that it, the idea is he has been taken out of the way and is forever gone. There's no coming back of it. It, it served its purpose. He it had a great purpose of bringing Jesus to the world and, and, bring, and pointing out our sins and, and pointing out our need for the, for the Lord Jesus. He had a tremendous purpose, but Jesus fulfilled the law. He died on the cross and it was taken out of the way and that leaves us with the greatest law that has ever been placed on this earth and that is the New Testament. Don't you just love the New Testament? Don't you just love it? I'm going to give you a few reasons why I love it. I know you spend time with it yourself but I'm going to give you a few reasons why I love it. Love the New Testament. First, first, because it is so orderly, it is, it is brought to us in an orderly fashion. I've mentioned this before. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is all about the Lord Jesus. And if you will open up your heart and mind and read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you'll walk away and say, "I want to know more about this Jesus. I mean, I, I, want, I want to know more about how to live for him." Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is designed, as John says in John 20, to create faith in us. you remember that from John 20, 30, and 31? Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life uh, in his name. That's, That's really the whole purpose of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to create faith. But what's next? Okay, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, which tells us how to create that relationship with the Lord. How to receive the forgiveness of sins. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John creates a desire for us to want to walk with Him. The book of Acts shows us many examples of conversions where people learn how to to come to the Lord, to submit to Him, to begin their journey, to begin their walk with the Lord. And then from Romans on, it shows us how to live the Christian life. Live the Christian life. Different letters are written to different districts and different churches and different individuals. But for us today, it's learning how to live, how to conduct ourselves in the church, how to be a good influence in our, in our jobs and communities. That love the New Testament. The book of Revelation is, is written to give us a grand hope beyond uh, this life. So I love the New Testament because it is so orderly, but also... I love the New Testament because it's so simple. It's so simple. Just twenty-seven books. Just twenty seven have you ever paid attention to when Congress will write a piece of legislation? When they say piece of legislation, I think in my mind a piece of paper. You know, I I have notes written everywhere, scattered throughout. Every place I ever go, little little pieces of paper. But what they do, it's thousands of, of pieces of paper. There's thousands of papers. It documents thousands and two thousand pages long. Okay? Because they're human beings. We can't shut up. Human beings cannot shut up. Okay? Human beings cannot bring it down to what it needs to be, but the Lord can. Look what the Lord did through just 27 years. Books. The greatest document ever written is the New Testament, and we can read through the New Testament in a month's time. In a month's time, and if you you want to be more diligent, you can get through it faster than that. You can read these books and read, read them and read, read them. The the words are not very long. We have now uh, so many great different translations of the Bible to where you can just take one and then you can take another and compare it. Before long. You can understand what the meaning of these verses are. The Bible is written and the New Testament is so simple. Another reason I love the New Testament is because it is honorable. It, it puts us on our honor. There are commands of the New Testament. The New Testament itself is a command, but it's not, it's not written like commands. It, it's historical books and then it's also letters written. Okay. And we glean what we need to know from these letters written. We are, we are peeking in at somebody else's work, but we're, we're drawing the lessons we need for our lives from these, from these documents. It's not just a whole list of commands, thou shalt and thou shalt not. In other words, God is putting us on our honor. He's saying, I'm laying it out to you, and I, I completely trust that you will have the desire to get into these 27 books and understand what it is to be a Christian today. I love that part of the New Testament. I love the New Testament also because it's the rest of the story. It's the rest. Where would we be without the New Testament? There are, there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus and His church in the Old Testament. Where would we be without these 27 books? It's the rest of the story. It tells us more about God. That's a wonderful thing about Jesus. He, he came saying, you know, like from John 14... In verse 9, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Look how much more we know about God because of the New Testament. And then let me mention this. I love the New Testament because it tells us about Jesus, right? I mean, that, that's everything. The New Testament is our record of Jesus Christ, the Son of glory, the Son of the Most High, the Lord Himself, the Savior, the King. You know, we've been studying on Sunday evenings through these booklets. Basically, reasons reasons to believe in God. Reasons to believe in God. Reasons to believe in God. Reasons to believe in the Bible. Reasons to believe in Jesus. You know, it just comes down to this. It comes down to this. Jesus and a lack of a better alternative. That's belief. Because Jesus believed in the Bible. Jesus had a relationship with the Father. And Jesus brings us salvation. What better alternative does the world have than what we have here in the New Testament? And so one thing that the death of Jesus created is the the New Testament, the New Covenant. A second thing that the Death of Jesus created was the church. The church. Again, we're so thankful. We remember reading from Acts 20 and verse 28, as Paul speaks to the elders at Ephesus, take heed to the flock. He said, and Then he said, concerning this flock, that the Lord has purchased this flock with his blood. With his blood. The church is purchased with the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of His blood, there could be no remission of sins, and there could be no church. Because Acts 2.47 says that on a daily basis in those early days, they were adding to the church those who were being saved. Death of Jesus created the church. But here in Romans 7.4, notice that the church is mentioned as, as the bride of Christ. The bride. See, you have become dead to the law, Paul says, that you should be married, joined to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. The church is the bride of Christ. Let's think about that a moment. You go back to to Adam and it's important to think about Adam when you think about Christ because over in 1 Corinthians 15, 45 Christ is called the last Adam. Adam is first Adam, of course. Christ is called the last Adam. There's some comparisons between the first Adam and Christ the last Adam. Go back to Adam in Genesis 2. God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helpmate for him. And he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh. And from that rib he made woman and he brought the woman unto the man. The first wedding ceremony. He brought the woman unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall be... One flesh. Now, notice this that when Adam woke up, he had a new bride. What about the last Adam? Well, they took the last Adam and they whipped him, and then they forced a crown of thorn upon his head. And they spit upon him. They nailed him to the cross. And they pierced his side. They opened up his flesh, didn't they? And the blood poured out. Jesus took a sleep of death for three days. And then he came roaring back from the dead, and he had a new bride. As Adam woke up and had a new bride, so the last Adam came back from the dead, the sleep of death, resurrected on that third day. And Jesus had a bride. Technically, Jesus' wedding day, if you will, was on the day of Pentecost. When the full gospel was preached by Peter, Jesus had said to Peter back in Matthew 16, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And Peter opens up the doors of the church on the day of Pentecost. And people responded by repenting and being baptized for remission and they were added to the church. Individually, then, we become the bride of Christ when we do what they did on that day. We repent of our sins and are baptized That is, in a sense, the Christian's wedding ceremony with our Lord Jesus. Think about the bride for a minute. The bride undergoes a huge change in her life. She has a new name. She has a new family. She has a brand new role in life. She has a brand new place to live. Everything changes for the bride when she says, I do. So it is with us as we come to Christ to become, in a sense, His bride. Everything changes. Our name changes. Our role changes. Our purpose changes. We are coming out of sin. We're saying goodbye to the devil. We have a new Lord. As 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. The bride undergoes a tremendous change. But also, the bride commits that her husband will be her head for the rest of her life. She submits to her husband. Ephesians five twenty three: For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ... Is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body, but also the bride becomes the helpmate. The reason, and you read it for yourself, the reason God created the bride for Adam, he needed a helpmeet, a helpmate. And so it is with Christ and his bride. Why are we here? Why are we here? We are here solely to be His helpers. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19 and verse 10. We are here to carry on His work. As His bride, we are here to help Him. That's why He put us here. That's why why when we come to Him in baptism, we are raised to walk in newness of life, but it's a purposed life. We are now the bride. We are to help Him. As we read a moment ago, at Ephesians uh, 1, 22 and 23, think about it carefully. Jesus is the head of the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him. That feels like we are fulfilling the initial purpose of Jesus. And He is working through us. Well, so the death of Jesus created us a brand new law and also created the Church. And then finally, the death of Jesus created a new attitude, a new attitude. Let your Bible go back, let your eyes go back to your Bible here in Romans 7. The first big attitude I want to mention here, maybe it will be the only one. You're saying yay, it will be the only one. Romans 7, maybe this is not as familiar to us. If you look at verse 5, he says, For when we were in the flesh, in other words, when we were living according to the flesh, especially how that is brought out in the old law, the sinful passions that we have, they they work through us to bring us unto death. In other words, when we were without Christ, then all the things we were doing in our body was leading to spiritual death and more spiritual death. Just a continual separation from God. But now, he says, but now, verse 6, we have been discharged from that law and from all those sinful passions, having died to that, wherein we were held. So that we serve not in the newness, we serve now in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. The one big attitude that is created in us is a conquering of sin. A conquering of sin. An overcoming of sin. Folks, when we say yes to Jesus, when we are coming to Him, we are saying no to the world. And God expects us to get in the habit of overcoming sin. We don't need to run to the extreme. Because sometimes, and it is true, we are all sinners. And most definitely we all are going to make mistakes on a regular basis. But we're not going to be sinners in the sense of a continual habit. We have changed our ways. We have changed our Lord. We have changed the path. We're on the path of righteousness now. Mm -hmm. And God expects us to have an attitude that that we're just not going to sin. That ought to be our attitude. That we now have the new law. We now have a new purpose. And we're just not in the business of sinning. The problem is the devil wants to confuse us and tell us this is not really all happened. Look in your Bibles. It's probably in the same page, Romans 6. And notice Paul's writing here in verse 11. Verse 11, Romans 6, verse 11. He says, Even so, reckon you yourselves. The word reckon there means to put it down as a, as a most sure fact. There, there's a lot of force behind these, these words here. It's hard to get out in English. In other words, if, if you can be sure of anything, be sure of this. Even so, he says, Reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Christ. Now, we are dead to sin. That's what Peter said about the death of Jesus on the cross in 1 Peter 2.24. We haven't died to sin. We now live under righteousness. Our attitude every day is that we are not going to sin. And at the end of the day, if we have sinned, it's not going to be a lot. We are going to be blameless. We are going to be spotless. We are going to be the light for the Lord. It's a new attitude. It's not the oldness of the letter. It's the newness of the Spirit now. Keep reading here in Romans 6 and look at verse 12. He says, Let not sin therefore reign. We have a new ruler. Jesus is our King now. Did Jesus ever sin? No. The one who rules over us does not sin, never sin. Therefore, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you shall obey the lust thereof. We are through with sin. That's a new attitude. It's an attitude the world does not have. The world flows in the direction of their desires and their lust and their pride. But we have now stepped into Christ. And we have a brand new attitude. The death of Jesus brings a new attitude. We won't go much further than this this morning. But you could fill in the blank as far as more attitudes. Look what Jesus showed. You know, one time he would say it like this, like on the Sermon on the Mount. He would say, you have heard it said, you shall not kill, you shall not murder. But I say unto you, no longer hate a man. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But Jesus said, I say unto you, don't even lust after a woman. A new attitude. A change of heart. An inside out approach uh, to life. An inside out approach to life. Crack, boom, bang. I'm about to... We have this song uh, selected. Appreciate Jeff selecting this song. Five hundred and ninety eight. Five hundred and ninety eight. we can pay particular attention to the last part of the song where it says, I'm coming, O Lord, to have my sins washed away because of what you did on Calvary. And that's been our focus this morning. What did the death of Jesus create? What did it create? And as we get ready to Sing this song, I want to put these words into your mind as Jesus was talking about his death in John 12. I'm going to read to you, John 12:23. Uh, Jesus answered and said, "The hour is coming that the Son of Man should be glorified. Very verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it abides by itself alone." But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that's what Jesus' death did. It bore much fruit. And we've noticed three of those things. A brand new law, the church of our Lord, and a new attitude for us to live with and in. If we can assist anyone this morning with a spiritual need, please make that known right now. As we stand together, we sing 598. Brother James.